This is More to Say with Randy Naughton. Interesting conversations with interesting people. We welcome you into another edition of More to Say with Randy Naughton. Interesting conversations with interesting people. And our next guest, let me tell you, he definitely qualifies. You see the face, you know the face, you may know the voice more these days. We welcome Alan Hunter in from 80s on 8, one of the on-air personalities at Sirius XM Radio and one of the original MTV VJs. Wow, what a treat it is to talk with you. Honored indeed for um, to be on such an illustrious show as yours. Right, right. Well, now thank living you for in that. your town. Yes, you are. We're both in St. Louis now, which I find fabulous. And I want—I know you're a recent transplant, and I want to see, you know, how you're living up to that. So, <laughs> you know, I told some of my friends I'm talking to Alan Hunter, the original MTV VJ. Now, I graduated from high school in 1980, and you okay. guys came on the air in '81. So that was my jam. That was my yeah. wheelhouse. So I want to know. Yeah. I want to know from the beginning. How the heck did you end up there? Did you, was there a casting call? Did someone see you in a crowd? Were you working on radio? Where did it all start? Yeah, I came down on an alien ship out of nowhere. <laughs> um, you know, it's kind of a story of right place, right time. Um, I wanted to be an actor when I graduated from college in 79. I moved to New York and um Went to drama school, wanted to be on Broadway. That was my whole thing. I, mm-hmm. I, I graduated in psychology, but I figured I wanted to be in theater. So I uh, went to New York. I was living there. Basically, when you're trying to be an actor in New York City at the beginning of the decade, it's waiting tables, bartending. Right. And you did that? Are you a good bartender? I'm, I'm pretty. I'm, I'm a okay bartender. I don't have a, a good head for the the uh, the items in each drink, like a Manhattan I could never Right. Make unless I read the Rolodex of what it was. So Rolodex. I was going to a lot of auditions wait a minute, wait a minute. and I did. You said yes. Rolodex. I love that. Yes. Anyway, carry no. on. Totally. Manhattan or Rob Roy. These old guys would order these weird drinks. And I was like, I don't know. You want a beer or wine? Come on. So uh, I bumped into a guy named Bob Pittman, who was one of the brain childs behind MTV. And we met at a picnic in Central Park. My wife mm-hmm. at the time was from Mississippi. I was raised, I was a, uh, went to school in Jackson, Mississippi. And uh, they had this big, uh, big party in the park. All states had like a celebratory party in Central Park at some point during the summer, every state in the union. And there we were. Bob Pittman is from Mississippi. We were introduced. I told him I was a struggling actor bartending at the Magic Pan. He said he was putting together some kind of cable channel that would play videos. 24-7. It had not started yet. This was probably two months away at this point. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, that's funny. I was just in a David Bowie video. I'd gotten cast in uh, fashion. Did you really? What, what yeah. part did you play? Where were you? Well, if you if you if you watch it, I'm one of the six featured dancers. I'm the only white guy with blonde hair. I've got a striped shirt on in various roles throughout the the video. And uh, it was pretty amazing. I mean, it was a gig for me. It was 50 bucks a day for three days. And we got to meet David Bowie and, cool. you know, tell people that I was an actor in a video. No one really knew what they were. The only place you could see it was on Midnight Special. And uh, so I told Bob that. He said, well, that's great. Good luck. And, and he walked away. The next day, I got a call from the executive producer who said, Bob bumped into you at the park. And he thinks you should come in and audition to be a host on our music channel. It wasn't called MTV at the time. And I said, what in the hell is it? <laughs> she said, just come exactly. on in. 
So I came in and did three horrible auditions, you know, uh, three or four days in between in a row. Never got better. I didn't think anyway. And before I knew it, I was hired. I mean, right place, right time. So was it more of reading a teleprompter or just being you and just, you know? Yeah, it was kind of all of that. I mean, they were desperate. They had been searching for a year. They'd gone through thousands of people, went through all sorts of radio jocks, found out that jocks on the air aren't aren't always good on television. So then they asked tons of artists. They asked Kevin Cronin from Mario Speedwagon to to if you wanted to be a VJ. Mm-hmm. Said, no, thank you. I have a burgeoning career. I got so a they, gig. Thanks. They got to me towards the last. They'd already hired three of us. Martha Quinn and I were the last ones to be hired. And um, I think they just gave in. They needed five and they were desperate. They had three weeks to go before air. <laughs> that's my that's my vision anyway. So they they hired me three weeks before August the 1st, 1981. I was hired, given $500 to go and buy myself some clothes seriously. So I went to Macy's and got a lot of uh, clothes on sale and invented myself at that point. Zuba pants, big shoulders. Oh, yeah, whatever was in style in 81. It was colors at that point, believe it or not. Right, color blocks. So look, you know, the studio was in Hell's Kitchen, 33rd and 10th. It was a terrible location, but the studio was real. There was money behind it, not much. And by the seat of our pants, the five original VJs, the crew, the directors, the producers, nobody knew what they were doing. Literally, we did not know what it really meant. We didn't know what the channel was 24-7. And these people are going to sit in front of a camera and do what? Introduce Duran Duran and you 2 and um, what was the content? You know, we did a little bit of news and we would experiment with it. We would read the teleprompter and then they would get rid of the teleprompter because they wanted it to be more spontaneous and right. off the cuff. So it was just a big, giant experiment for many, many months. People at home, when they watched it, had no idea how this thing was put together by duct tape. Seriously. That's Crazy. pretty awesome. And yeah. when you look at the original players, um, yourself included, J.J. Jackson, Mark Goodman, Nina Blackwood, and Martha Quinn, you all couldn't be different, any more yeah, different. Yeah. yeah, I think they tried to hit all of the demographics. I mean, that's why, you know, I was the boy next door. Martha was the girl next door. J.J. was the credible guy with the, with the uh, you know, the career in rock and roll and interviewing people. He he brought Led Zeppelin to America in the 70s. He was Rod Stewart's good friend. So he was wow. a, you know, he had a really uh, good resume. Mark was a, had a great resume as one of the you know premier radio people. So the rest of us were kind of novices. And um, I think it were, worked. Were, I mean, it was they, kind of genius. Did they, did they look at you going like, who are these scrubs? We've been in the business. We know what we're doing. Who <laughs> yeah. are these people? Did you get that? Yeah, sure. Well, J- JJ was sort of the patriarch of us all of us. He was so sweet, a big hearted, loving guy. And he was, he was like my mentor, my father. So he was really sweet. Mark and I didn't get along in the beginning. He was a little, uh, Mark had an ego. And I say this as a a guy that has become one of my dearest, you know, brothers on the planet. But in the beginning, we circled around each other. Mark thought that I had no credentials to be uh, talking about music. Um, And I wanted to say, well, you don't have much credential, you know, being on television either. At least I know how to read a teleprompter. Uh, Mark was great from the get-go, though. He was very experienced and knew what he was talking about. So we circled each other for a little bit. As I began to get more comfortable in front of the camera, it took me a while. I didn't, I just didn't understand what the role was. Yeah. You know, give me, give me a script and a character and I'll do it. You want me to be myself in front of the camera? What does that even mean? Who's Alan Hunter? 
I think I spoke with a slight British accent in the beginning because I couldn't I couldn't quite be the Southern boy that I really was. So it took me a while, a couple, three months into it. It finally clicked. Uh, Mark didn't like my antics. I was the one who, you know, was doing cartwheels, you know, on the set. And my I felt my job was if I'm going to be the interstitial glue between the videos that were insane, how could I sit there like a talking head and be square and conservative. So I mirrored what I saw in the videos and had fun in between, tried to be natural and off the cuff and spontaneous. Mark didn't get it in the beginning. Finally, he did. And there you go. And do you think your antics, as you put it, and your cartwheeling and your goofiness and all that stuff, do you think that was one of the reasons you think you were the one pegged to go to MTV spring break first before anybody else? (laughs) Absolutely. Well, it took a number of years. I mean, uh, my my being the the not the class clown so much is that my my whole thing was um, certainly physicality to be free and not to be just a talking head. Right. The set that we had and then one that we had a couple of years later was huge. And we were breaking the mold for what you would see on television. People at two in the morning see these talking heads in between crazy videos on MTV. Um, and for us to walk around and 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 be free and not be married to a desk, you know, there was nothing typical about what we did. We wrote the handbook for what it was to be a host on this 24-hour music cable station. You know, the only thing that was 24-hour cable was CNN and ESPN when we came on. Right, right. So for so- me to say, well, no one's telling me how to do this. Why don't I do whatever I want? So we took long camera walks and you know, did all sorts of fun stuff, but I, that didn't take precedent over content. That helped me be a little bit more confident to then concentrate on the on the on the on the uh, the content of what I was saying. If I went to the Duran Duran concert the night before at the Ritz in New York, I could talk about it on air the next day, and I started to get a lot more um, a lot more free with uh, the sort of music end of my job, which was talking about music. Mainly because I was introducing bands that no one knew either. No one knew right. who U2 was before I interviewed Bono and the Edge. You know, Duran uh, Duran were sort of my bailiwick. I was kind of into the alt new wave and interviewing them before America knew who they were. Uh, kind of put me at their level. All of us sort of enjoyed, not not the same level, mind you, in terms of what we do, but people came to know us daily, 24-7. Oh, no doubt. Again, I mean, that was my wheelhouse. That was my jam. I grew up with it. And, you know, I got into radio, I think it was in 1981, right after. And it was kind of like the same way as you did. I was a waitress and there was a general manager of a radio station (laughs) and he heard my voice and he said, you want to be on the radio? And I thought, "Okay, okay, I'm a cute 19 year old. Come on, dude. (laughs) Came back the next day and he was serious. So my first radio job was doing traffic in Buffalo, New York. Yeah. And that's what started my media career, radio, TV, blah, blah, blah. I want to know. Um, so it's it's weird how yeah. that happens. You know, yeah. I didn't have any broadcast experience. Yeah. And then I ended up doing overnights and reading the back of album covers and seeing who produced it and who was this. And so, so you learn a lot working overnights because you got to stay a freaking wake, right? You Absolutely. Awake. Yeah. So I want to ask you, and you don't have to give names, but if you could drop hints so we, if we could figure it out, I want to know. I know, I know bands and artists came into the studio all the time. 
who was the most obnoxious? <laughs> who, who peed in the corner on accident because they were tripping? Uh, who got in a fight? I want I want dirt. I want MTV dirt. Yeah, well, I, we got a book uh, that we put out about five, six years ago called VJ. And you You're can gonna just make read, me read. All, Come on, all Alan. The stories are in that book. I think it's nine ninety nine for the Kindle edition. But, uh, you know, I, I, I look, uh, it's not that I haven't been asked this story before. There's, I would hold back not a thing. And in fact, we've got tons of stories that we've all told that were in that book. I mean, you know, doing drugs with David Lee Roth. Uh, in a bathroom. How unusual is that? Not. <laughs> it's just not a big story. <laughs> uh, I think that the reason we enjoyed a, a very different relationship with these artists. Again, we had some bummer people. Frankie goes to Hollywood, comes into the studio. Relax. Don't do it. When you're gone. I know that song. Holly Johnson acts like a jerk, right? Mark's interviewing him. Kudos to Mark for really being good at that. And they come in all snotty and snooty. No one knows who Frankie Goes to Hollywood is. We're showing their video. They're snotty. And Mark says, look, we don't need to do this interview. We don't need you, but you need us. So we can end it right here. And, I love it. And they ended it right there. <laughs> so record companies, management said, look, you need MTV. Don't right. go on and, and blow it. So. That's pretty incredible. And of course, MTV evolved and emerged and there were so many offshoots and, you know, game shows. And it got to a point where there were no videos at all. And yeah. then other channels jumped on. Um, I do want to let you know that you and I almost were co-workers. Oh, my goodness. OK, so I'm working in Buffalo <laughs> on on the air at I think it was WKSE radio, which is what it is now pop station. I think I was doing overnights and then doing the morning news. So I was on the air for nine hours. Just brutal, freaking brutal. Did Viacom owned it, own it at that time? Well, Viacom, I think, was the named owner mid 80s, maybe 84 or something this, like that. This is around the time. Yeah. So I get a phone call at the radio station. So-and-so from Viacom wants you to call them. I'm like, what? So I call Viacom and I'm like, uh, what's up? You know, this is Randy Naughton on air in Buffalo, WKSE, whatever. They said, we want to fly you to New York to audition to be on the air with us. I'm like, wow. I'm like, what? So I was engaged at the time to my current husband still. Sweet. He's a, still engaged know, and he, never got married. That's good. Just celebrated 35 years. Yeah. Uh, just 35 years away. He. He's a Midwestern guy in his tight acid wash jeans, and he hated New York City, did not want to go. And I had been a number of times partying my butt off in the 80s. So I go there and I realize they want me to read the teleprompter, huh. MTV, This Day in Rock. Hmm. And I'm reading it and I'm doing it because they heard me read the news and blah, 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 blah. I didn't get it, Alan. They gave it to some scrub named Kurt Loder. Oh, my. <laughs> well, that was around 87 then. Yes, it was 87, exactly. To, to right. look for other hosts. I mean, the five originals peeled off in 86 and 87. I was the last to walk out the door late. So 80s. I missed you. I did yeah. meet downtown Julie Brown when I went yep. there. She was there. She was she across was lovely. She, she was, was lovely. Wobble, wobble. Absolutely lovely. Well, and you came that close, didn't you? You came that, that close. close. Man, I think I probably would have screwed it up and done some stupid crap in NYC and doomed myself. So probably would have done something to torpedo the gig. You know that I, I would have done something stupid. 
for sure. <laughs> so now you are on Sirius XM and my daughter who just turned 30 is now like, mom, did you hear this song? Blah, blah. I go, dude, that's a remake from the original in 1983. Uh-huh. No, yeah. it's not. And now yeah. they're starting, that younger generation is now starting to appreciate this music. Um, Absolutely. Are you, are you finding that? Well, I have two youngins. I have a 12-year-old and a 14-year-old. So uh, my 14-year-old is not so much into the 80s. My my 12-year-old loves it. I think that, you know, we talk about what is it about the 80s that appeals to a younger generation? Anybody below 45, why do they care? Um, and I don't know. There's some science to it probably, but I think one has to do with the variety. Uh, but why does The weekend? Uh, simulate 80s music. I mean, his yeah. biggest songs have a very 80s synthy kind of vibe to them. And I think it's because of the the innocence of the era. There there was a lot of synthesizer and those are kind of back in vogue at times. Um, and, I, you know, maybe it's just cyclical. 30 years down the pike, 40 years down the pike. Uh, it's the time for people to enjoy that music again. But it it's it's different than trying to relive the 90s, which I totally respect. My wife's the 90s gal. And it wasn't just nihilistic mu- music. It wasn't just Nirvana. Um, but but I think it's it's a different homage that you pay to the 90s than you can pay to the 80s. And you can replicate some of those songs. You can right. certainly have some of those 80s tunes be, you know, the base for, you know, a, a new song nowadays for sure. So I just think it was yeah, a good time. You mentioned time. it's cyclical, just like fashions and sure, things like sure, that. Sure. You know? No doubt what goes around. around comes around. I just think that the 80s was also just so culturally damn strong. I mean, the, the whole decade was so important beyond just music with Reagan in power, with the, you know, the, the, the economy starting to, to climb. People were feeling better. It was the me generation. Uh, MTV was there to be the counter, you know, to the conservative uh, vibe that was happening in the country. And there was a lot of good push and pull. And we all got along. I mean, I say this all the time on my show. You know, you could go from a Thomas Dolby to a White Snake to a Springsteen to a U2 to a Culture Club. And everybody, and everybody knows everybody every word. Yeah. Got along. Even if you didn't like the tune, you sat there with your buddies in the basement and you waited on the next video to come along. And that would be one you would like. And what other choice did you have? You didn't, but we all got along. But that's Love great. It. Now, between your gig now at Sirius XM 80s on 8 and, you know, your gig as an MTV VJ, um, I know you have a film company with your brother called Hunter Films. Like, did you ever have any like normal people jobs? <laughs> well, I was lucky. Uh, look, I, I rode the roller coaster like everybody else after Heck MTV. Yes. It was very difficult to to get a job. I mean, I was... One of the only five people in the world that did what I did. And when Mark and I left MTV in 88, 80, 87, 88, um, we both looked at each other and said, we can't be VJs forever. So we all hiked it out to Hollywood to try to, you know, find ourselves out there. I hosted a bunch of uh, pilot shows for a bunch of networks that were crazy, goofy stuff because of my time, you know, doing the 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 spring breaks and the road shows. Right. I did a lot of reality shows for MTV that sort of set the stage for road rules and those kind of things. I was the man out of the studio and I loved it. I like being the man in the street. My my desires to be a stand-up comic, you know, I got to exercise those when I was wandering cool. around. But but it was just difficult. So I spent like a number of years fortunately growing a couple of kids. My older kids I had when I was out in Los Angeles. 
They didn't know that dad was pushing them a little hard on the swing out of anger for not having a kid. (laughs) No, I'm having fun. Dad's having fun. But now you have your regular gig on Sirius Yeah, the gig is good. We had a good period. Look, I, I went through so many other periods like we all should and do. I got civically engaged when I never would have done that. I moved back to my home neck of the woods of Birmingham and started a film company with a brother and started a film festival and went to Sundance and South by Southwest with movies that we had produced. Um, And it was so it was so satisfying to not be slave to the agent. I mean, you've heard this story a million times. I wanted to be in control that I got this gig at Sirius when I was in the middle of shooting a movie. Uh, I was like, Sirius, what in the hell is that? Satellite radio? What? This is, you know, 16 years ago. And it was it's a little like part-time you gig. of MTV back in the day. I would run from the set to either my studio at my office or if we were on location, I was in New Mexico shooting a movie and I would go to the hotel room and do my show for Sirius XM. It has turned into a lot more than I thought. And it's right. a crazy bookend. You know, I'm doing what I did on MTV. Just I don't have to get dressed. I have that's- no pants on right now. And that's beautiful. Like we all do on Zoom. Yes. Is there any part of the entertainment industry that you've not kind of broached that part of it and you'd like to? Well, I never did make it to Broadway that that I I think I probably went into the right profession. I think being me as a host, as a traffic cop, um, a frustrated stand up comic. um, I did a lot of community theater after I left and that was very satisfying. So I got a little bit of my live theater Jones, but I never did get to say make a guest appearance with Debbie Gibson in Greece. You know, I really wanted to do, and I'm still hoping upon hope that I'll do. So a, are you actively and, pursuing stuff like that? No, I wouldn't say actively. St. Louis is not the place to be actively pursuing an acting career, as much as there's some good theater in town. Yeah, in Chicago, I pursued it a little bit. Um, I think that that desire has passed a little bit. There was a little ego involved with wanting to get back on stage. I just love live theater. To this day, I like going to live theater. I love going to live concerts and you know, I like the live experience. I love movies. Those are still my my hobby. So if I had life to do over again, I would be an actor in the West End of London or uh, or on Broadway. But it's a hell of a life. <laughs> yes, indeed. You know, I would I, be Hugh Jackman. That's who I'd be. I can uh, totally see it. You know, I wanted to be a triple threat like you. I'm not as tall as he is. Uh, but to be a movie star, a hoofer on Broadway, a singer, you know. That's that awesome. Would, that would I love it. Absolutely. Well, there's still time, plenty of time. Um, <laughs> yes, I want to know is. back, who who was your favorite artist from the 80s? Who do you, like when you listen to it, you're like, this is my jam. These are my people. I love it. Wow. Like, is there anybody that rises above anybody else? Well, I think there were certainly, and it is a very subjective thing for sure. I tended to the new wave on the on the lighter side of things. The Howard Joneses of the world. I love the Thomas Dolby's love those. Uh, on the more consequential uh, end of things. You two would have to be up there with when people talk about the 80s. Sometimes they focus only on the frivolous nature of the colors and the day glow and the hair and the this and the that. And I go, you know, some of the most influential and consequential and iconic music was was done in the 80s. Um, Duran Duran would have been my favorite because they were very oh, early on out of the shoot. So good. Peter Gabriel would be an artist that had true gravitas and everything he so did. Who is my favorite album of it's all a, time. It's, it's an amazing album. All it's time. A, it's a great album. And the new one. I mean, here's a man 
And this is when I'm proud of bands like you two. Let's call it the Stones as well, but they weren't an 80s band, but they're still they're still going. Mm-hmm. They're still kicking ass. Peter Gabriel, you know, put this new album out or it's almost out and it's creatively genius. Um, so I think I tended to the artist that uh, le- left a mark and gave us music that had some timelessness. I mean, some music is fully rooted in the 80s and should stay there. <laughs> you know, Diesel had the Sausalito Summer Nights. It didn't need to go beyond 83. Right. <laughs> it just didn't. I love that. You are but there so, was so right many. About that. There was so much good music back in the day. But to this day, because I've got young kids, my older son introduces me to new music. I'm into everything. I mean, the, the new pop songs, it's a ton of great stuff. People say there's nothing good anymore. And I say there's tons that's good. There's just a lot more that's crappy that you got to weed through. You sure do. That's entertainment in general, isn't it? Yes. Did I read somewhere that you go on these 80s cruises? Uh, Yes. And how many have you been on and are you planning another? Oh, yeah. No, no. There's number eight uh, or nine. I think it's eight is coming up in March. But actually, I'm going to Cancun in three weeks for an 80s event called The Sands. It used to be called 80s in the Sand. Now it's just The Sands. This is the sixth year. Um, And it's in Cancun at Planet Hollywood. Same thing as the cruise, just on land for five or six days. Mark will be there. Downtown Julie Brown will be there. I don't think Nina will be there this year. And we've got everybody from Pat Benatar on down, 38 Special, and I forget who's on the cruise. You know, look, I, I think it's amazing to go on those things. To get a perspective of how big the 80s still are. The first one eight years ago, I didn't want anything to do with going on a cruise. I wasn't getting on a boat, never had, never will. And I stepped on it with a great trepidation. Uh, They did give me a paycheck that made it worth my while to go on it. But all of those 3,000 fans that go, middle-aged and pretty wide demographic, uh, have become like camp family. I mean, we go back and, you know, 50% of the people have been on all these things. They come again, doctors and lawyers and construction workers all reliving, you know, that decade in their lives. They, I mean, the grown men with large muscles and beards and tutus and, you know, you know, frilly clothing and weird mohawks. It's, it's crazy. It's like Comic-Con, Dragon Con, it's 80s con. And I got to tell you, I, I'm into it. Way into it. That's fabulous. Um, now, yep. now talk about come along. Life. You got to come with us, man. <laughs> I would be in. I tell you what, how many cans of Aquanet do they allow on the boat? That's all I want to <laughs> know, because I would bring a lot. Um, oh, they bring a lot of that stuff. You would believe how much these people dress up every night. It's a new dress. And, and uh, I don't know. I don't oh, know how my hair. I don't think my hair could take it. So you're on Sirius <laughs> XM 80s on eight. So and you are a Midwest transplant now. In yes. St. Louis, because your wife works at Webster University in She's St. at Washington U. Or She's Washington, Washington University. She's my a mistake. professor there. Uh-huh. My mistake. Um, so how do you like the Midwest lifestyle? And what do you do with your days besides your radio show and, you know, Cardinals games? What are you doing these days? I shuffle down the street. So if you see a guy who looks kind of like that guy, I mean, I think there's some parts of me that look like I did in the 80s. I don't know which part that is. I my would agree is, with that. Yeah. My hair is grayer. Um, I'm the same height. I haven't, I'm not stooped over. I'm probably have never been in better shape. You know, it's funny when you get older, you, you start thinking about your mortality. So I'm you trying try to, harder. Right. And to keep things going here. Uh, I didn't know a damn thing about St. Louis when my wife, we were living in San Francisco and Petaluma up in wine country and it was pretty dreamy. 
Uh, the beauty about my gig at Sirius is that we can move wherever. We went to Chicago and then we went to San Francisco. We there almost two years and I thought I could get used to this lifestyle. This is great. Aside from the fires, the earthquake right. and the expanse of San Francisco. Yeah, it's pretty swell. But she said, I got this gig at Washington U. And I was like, where is that? St. Louis? Not Washington. What? what? St. Louis. I just didn't know anything about it. And uh, we got here two years ago, and I know a lot more about it. It's a town that takes a little while to get to know because it's kind of spread out. Uh, And you travel down 44 or 64, and uh, then you get off at an exit somewhere, Tower Grove, and there you are. And then you get back on, you go to another place. So I'm about to find the connective tissue that is, you know, oh, that's the Ikea. Oh, that means I'm close to, you know, that. I've got all these little anchor You're points. You're still learning, right. Yeah, I haven't connected the uh, the surface streets, as it were, the neighborhoods. I sort My of husband was born here and still has no idea how to get around. That's what I'm people like, tell me, people who really? live here. I will say it is, as they say, the biggest small town around. Um, I mean, every day I found find out like a new person, a famous person was born and raised here. You know, when I found out that Miles Davis came from St. Oh, Louis. Yeah. And so it's little elements of its history that are pretty uh, dynamic to me. And that that makes me feel like, wow, this is a pretty cool place. It's an easy town to live, especially when you got a family. We live out in the burbs and um, that, you know, I didn't I didn't envision living in the burbs when I got older. Uh, I like the density and I like the I like New York still, to be honest. I love going to visit my buddy Mark and doing my series show there. So I'll always love that. I love going to L.A. and the series studios out there. Um, you know, take me down to Nashville whenever I can. I'm glad I'm closer to Nashville. Oh, yeah. But that's I think great. St. Louis is a is a great town. The people are really swell here. And what a music town this is. Oh, yeah. I mean, people are huge rockers. Every plumber and electrician that comes up to do a gig for me. After he's finally in 30 minutes in the house, figured out who I am. And and you said it. They don't recognize me. They hear my voice and they go, yes. are you are you Mark you Goodman? sound like that guy. <laughs> right. You sound right. like Mark Goodman. Uh, that would be Alan Hunter. Do uh, people recognize go, you when you're out at like the Kirkwood Farmer's Market or somewhere like that? Yeah. I mean, no, I, I mean, I would say that not a day goes by that someone doesn't say something. I can always tell who the demographics are. And it happens sometimes at school, my kid's school. You know, there'll be a meeting of some sort and my wife will give me a little warning. Heads up. <laughs> She'll say demo walking and um, demo walking. Yeah, demo walking. And invariably when they find out I'm I'm who they thought I was. Uh, it, it, how bizarre, though, for people, they, they, why would they see me here? You know, it's like, why? Why are you here? Unless they read about <laughs> what it are you the, doing here? Right. In the in the Times or, you know, the Riverfront Times or something. Right. Right. But they say, can, can, do you DJ? <laughs> can you, can you do DJ you my DJ? kids party? Have you yeah. have you gotten some gigs and some offers like that? Oh, I get I, I get asked that a lot. But when I tell them it'll cost them, I don't know, I just throw out a number, $50,000. I don't get asked anymore. That's one way so, to do it. Well, I figured I might as well charge if I'm going to laugh about it all day long and be and, offended. I might as well, yeah, I DJ. I do. Here's my fee. And one day somebody will say 50 grand. Okay, Some, you're in. Somebody in Ledoux is going to say, get it. Let's go. I did a gig <laughs> in, in the, the Hamptons for a rich guy who's really up there, like Goldman Sachs, government and rich. Agent calls up, says, this is who it is. He want, he's going to have a birthday party for a weekend. He's got Blondie and 
uh, the romantics and the two, oh. this huge lineup for the weekend wants you to host it. And here's how much he's going to pay you. And I was like, this is how it works. This is how it works. God bless America and capitalism. Get, we love it. Let me host a rich man's party. All, all the parties, <laughs> all the parties. Get well, it, get it. That's going to uh, come to the end of our time. I can't tell you what a pleasure it. Uh, ah, what fun. It's been talking with you. And now I got your digits and I might hit you up again. Oh, one of these man. Days. <laughs> I'll be hitting so, you up for tickets. You kidding me? I'm, I'm a. Uh, when it comes down to like getting freebies and, you know, free drinks and free tickets, I just, I hound everybody. You know, just, I've worked in St. Louis on the air for 30 years. So I know a few people, a few, <laughs> sometimes I might be able to do it. And I've only been off the air for a little while. So I may still yeah. have some game. We'll see. I'm sure you are beloved and still have all your contacts. I do. My Rolodex, my Rolodex is full and now it's got your name in it too. I love it. I, you know, because people hear me on the radio and I talk about St. Louis every day, I get hit up with my emails and uh, uh, people, uh, you know, somebody offered to throw me a party at the Blueberry Hill when I first arrived here. And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. Wouldn't that's that be weird if I accepted and showed up? <laughs> Where are all my friends? <laughs> I mean, and there's like five people and they're all named Bob and Biff and Chip, I, you know. I, I, I can see that. Well, thank <laughs> you for joining us. It's been just a thrill to talk with you. And, you know. All we can do is kind of reminisce about what could have been if I got that gig at MTV back in the day. You know, ships pass all the time, Randy. And uh, sometimes the gig was worth it and sometimes it wasn't. It might have been more trouble than it was worth. But I I say it worked out okay for me. Yeah. You led a good life since then. It was nice meeting you. You too. Thanks for your time today. I'll see you around. This has been More to Say with Randy Naughton. Interesting conversations with interesting people. Be sure to like or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.